Good afternoon to all listeners of the NDC Heartbeat Program in the Trial and State of Grenada, which includes Caracol and Pity Martinique and indeed all our dependencies. Our program time today is from 12 through 1. Today I'm pleased to be your host and my name is Terry Forrester. For today's program, we are pleased to present to you an interview which the PRO of the party, Ms. Claudette Joseph, held with the GBN recently, and also an interview which Ms. Daisy Hazard, PRO of the Public Workers' Union, held with the same GBN. These were two very interesting interviews, and you will find them equally so indeed. Stay tuned. Interesting stuff. Drink some ginger, where your man Look sanitizer Squeeze lime in a little honey Add turmeric to boost your immunity Where your mask is the best thing Where your mask keeps sanitizing So when you're ready and you feel okay Take your vaccine right away This has been a public service announcement From the National Democratic Congress All are we Yes, all are we Anyone, everyone Anytime. No standing in line. Five dollars you could afford? Thank you very much. You have a little more you could spare? We're so grateful. Go to ndcgrenada.org. Click the blue donate button. Select the amount. Select what you want your money to be spent on. Click next. Flash your card. Then flash a smile. We're grateful. Thank you very much from the National Democratic Congress. Putting people first. Here now is Ms. Claudette Joseph, the PRO for the National Democratic Congress Party. We have a few things to talk about, but I want to start with, uh, let's call it NDC's business. Um, uh, Of course, the hot topic among uh, people who have been following the political uh, spectrum has been the political leadership of the political party getting ready for elections due 2023, but could be called 2022. Um, uh, Just over maybe sometime, was it last month, I saw a report of Mr. Philip Tellisford throwing his hat in the ring um, for uh, the political leader. And, and the, I understand that the interim political leader or the acting political leader, uh, Adrian Thomas, has signaled that he would not be contesting the leadership. So I wanted to ask, you know, what are some of the, the conversations being held? Who else have thrown their hats in the ring to contest for leader of the National Democratic Congress? Yes, Blossom. And, you know, our country, our country is not in a good place right now in terms of of governance and um, the outlook for the future. We, I think there is just general national agreement that those we have put in charge, those we have entrusted with our affairs, have been doing a terrible job. And the whole of Grenada knows that one of the hallmarks of an NDC administration, the NDC party, once in office, um, is good, responsible, transparent, accountant, um, accountable, rather, government. And the people of Grenada are looking forward to a return of the NDC, new faces, mixing with a few um, of the other people with past government experience, but for the most part, a new and revamped NDC. And this is what we pledge and promise to the people of Grenada. And we are aware 
that while it is a good thing and beneficial in the context of a democratic organization to have um, several options and to have various people rising to the helm of the organization, we also want to ensure that we have a stable organization, an organization under stable, competent leadership that all of the people of Grenada would buy into and have confidence in. Because we are clear that we must rescue our country from the reckless, the reckless records that we have in charge right now. So we in the NDC, we are committed um, to electing a strong leadership team at our next convention due to be held um, in, a, in a couple months, right? In, in just a few short months away. And um, we've had several persons express um, interest in, in one form or another, or encouraged. Um, as it is now, we have confirmation from Brother Philip Telesford and, um, and Brother Adrian Thomas, as far as I'm aware. I am not aware that he has made an official declaration that he's no longer interested in contesting the leadership of the party. And the, but the door is not closed. There are several other persons within our organization who are quite capable. And there are, there are also several persons um, who are not actively in the organization now who have expressed interest. What we need in Grenada is a united front. We need all patriotic Grenadians all Grenadians who want a better Grenada and who are now satisfied that the chap who we have tried for over 30 years, with 22 of those years being at the helm, has not delivered on what we aspire um, to as a people, has not delivered, and we can conclude at this time, cannot deliver, having had such a long chance to do it. So we understand in the NDC that it's our responsibility to rescue our country, and that is exactly what we will do under strong, competent, well-chosen leadership in a few months. And, and there's my answer, um, Blossom. Um, I know a few weeks ago I asked if you were thinking of contesting uh, you said you were not at the time. Just checking to see if you've changed your mind, if you've, if you're thinking about it, contesting for the political leader position. It is not a decision that I have, that I have made yet, and these are decisions that are not entered into lightly at all. Um, a lot of factors are to be taken into account, and um, it, one should never feel. Um, pressured in any way, whether applying pressure on yourself or pressure from others. And so it is something, if I am to, to consider it, um, it's going to be carefully and deliberately considered. So unlike my brother, uh, Philip, I have not made a declaration of, um, and I would not venture to do so at this time. All right. Fair enough. All right, now let's go to more or other national matters. Um, just last week, 
last week it was announced that um, one of the projects that I know the NDC and Nationals, are, as a matter of fact, have been looking on at is the Kawana Bay development. And just last week, uh, we heard of the developer filing a claim against the government, um, citing some not so nice things, let's put it that way. Uh, in relation to what he believes is a government's uh, attempt to restrict the development. Um, What are some of your thoughts, the NDC's thoughts, on the situation with this developer, um, and not just for the lawsuit, but just a few weeks ago, him and the Prime Minister were going at each other? I know it seems like it's gone to another level. You know, know, Blossom, the last time I was here, I called... Uh, for the Prime Minister to offer an apology to the people of Grenada, um, to Mr. Newfield, and and to the and to the regional and international community at large for his for his utterly disgusting and racist, and racist comments in the um, in the Parliament. Um, when he did have an opportunity to address the matter, he doubled down and said he had no regrets. For, for using our uh, hallowed houses of parliament to be to be racist. And I say so with no apology because that's exactly what he was doing. And um, I looked a few days ago at an interview conducted by journalist Calista Farrier with the one of the lawyers representing the Kawana Bay. And that prompted me the contents of that interview prompted me to go and have a read of the actual claim, the actual case that um, the Kiwana Bay Company has brought against Grenada. All of us, we are also, this is what people need to understand, um, against the people of Grenada for what they describe as. Um, unilaterally changing the terms of the contract between the government and the company so as to cause the project to fail. People, you're hearing me? What Kiwana Bay is contending is that government has deliberately taken steps to cause the failure of this project. Now, that sounds blossom, that sounds kind of incredible, unbelievable. But when I, I read the claim that they brought and the, and the facts that they have mentioned to support that claim, what I could say to the people of Grenada is that we urgently, we urgently need to get rid of the new national party from the helm of running the affairs of our country. They are beyond reckless blossom. The claim is unbelievable. And I know that, as in all cases, government will have an opportunity to file a document telling their side of the story and mounting a defense. But based on what is presented by the Kawana Bay people, they call it children development. Um, based on what they have presented and the supporting documents that they have referred to in their claim, 
I find it hard. I, I would I, I can't wait. Put it this way. I guess I'm a legal. I can't wait to see what the government will come with as a defense. Because this here is a very, very strong case presented. And so unless there, there's information that is withheld by K wannabe or deliberately withheld, which, which I doubt it because when you're in these kinds of settings, you have to um, engage in full disclosure or else there will be consequences. So, Blossom, people of Bermuda, this here is another judgment, another major judgment staring us in the face, which could be as high as three or four times the sum that we had to pay WRB for Keith Mitchell's and Gregory Bowen's bad behavior. When, based on the claim that I've read, Mr. Newfield is absolutely correct when he says that this government is anti-investor. I don't understand why Dr. Mitchell got so offended when the investor says that he's behaving in an anti-investor mood. If what I read in the claim is what really happened, because it's utterly anti-investor and inexplicable. When a judgment is handed down, and it will be, Renlex, Renlex was the base figure was around 58 million, and then you add some cost after that, it, it went up to like 75 million, and then they were able to negotiate a little discount, and it went down to 63 million US, which is about 200 and sorry, 170 million EC. And then when you add the, the costs or the fees that our government had to pay, the lawyers representing us, government paid in excess of $200 million for Greenlick. No. What is interesting about this case is that apart from stating the, the value of the, of the project at $99.28 million U.S. million, people, that's the base the company Kawanabe, they have not in the claim put a figure. And there's a reason why they can't put a figure. Because in addition to the base claim, the consequential losses as a result will be mind-boggling, astronomical. Right? People of Grenada, we are looking at a judgment. Possibly in excess of 300 million US dollars. Do the math. Multiply that by 2.70, and you will see how much we are talking about in terms of EC dollars. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. This government is going to ruin our country. They are going to ruin Grenada to the point where there would be nothing left for the generations to follow us. They will be inheriting a country that will be worse off than the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere this time. And I'm not exaggerating and I'm not being dramatic because this is a very strong claim um, presented. Seems as though just like they did with Krelek, there is a contract and 
they, they went and took steps that will unilaterally change the terms of the contract without the agreement, input, or consent in any form of the other party to the contract. And that's just a no-no. When, when you engage in that kind of behavior and a court finds that you did, in fact, engage in that kind of behavior, you can't win. You cannot win. The other side to that, there's a consequential um, loss and impact, not just a financial loss, but the other impact. Because any investor worth their salt, you're talking about all the other CBI projects, arranged development, and the other people who are engaged in similar projects, they have to be looking on very, very nervously at this point. And, and, and wondering, well, if we do or say anything or fail to do something that the government wants that, that puts us in the doghouse, will we be treated that way? People who are investing a lot of money, millions of dollars in their projects, they must be very, very nervous. So when when potential investors and investors were they saw, not the Van Brink and the and the Restina and the Kozini kind that that they, you know they like to bring here. I'm talking about um reputable investors, and it appears from all that I've done, all that I've read about Mr. Newfield, he seems to be um a reputable investor, right? Not of the, the ilk that that they sometimes bring here, not of the ilk of the shrimp farm, for example, right? Seems to be a reputable investor. The range development people seem to be um, reputable investors. So when when decent and reputable investors look on at what happened to the Rex Grenadian, at what happened to, to the WRB people, and now at what happened to the Kipton Kowana Bay people, they will be very, very reluctant and reserved about doing business in Grenada. So when that first letter that Mr. Newfield um, published, he's absolutely correct. That is why we are scoring so poorly on the ease of doing business. They are, they, are, they are damaging with this kind of behavior because this is a public document. You can Google it and it's right there online. Anybody interested in Grenada, right, and doing proper research will come upon this. They will come upon the situation with Rex Grenadian because the judgments are online as well. They will come up on, on DipCon. They will come up on, on, um, on WRB. And they, will, and they will see how this government treats investors. And therefore, we in Grenada, we have to get rid of this myth, this, this fabrication that they like to push, that NDC is anti-business. NDC is anti-business? Well, point me to one business that to one business that the NDC has ever treated, even remotely, as they've treated DIPCON, WRB, Rex Grenadian, Kiwana Bay, all the other investors, legitimate people that you're chasing from here, right? The other thing is that they're damaging, they're, they're sabotaging the CBI program itself, the entire program, because people, as they, as they, as they claim in the judgment, People who are interested, applicants who are interested in investing in that specific project have pulled back, right? So here we have a government for some inexplicable reason, because according to, to the claim, the developers of Kiwana Bay, they do not know what caused it, right? But for some inexplicable reason, the government has gone hostile on, on, on another investor. Do you think that government 
has um has a defense a solid defense because according to the prime minister uh during the parliament sitting they were investigating some of the happenings within the the project and um, because they found that they needed to do you think that is enough of an a, a defense that if slash when they go to court that they can show proof of why they needed to investigate, um, and then maybe the judge would say, okay, Mr. Developer, you don't have any grounds because government had a right. Do you think government no. has defense? Right. No, with, with matters that are before courts and tribunals, ne there's never, um, you can never predict with certainty what the tribunal will find or, or what ruling um, they will come down on, Right. You can only say, especially um, me with my legal training, I can only say, looking at the claim, it is it is improbable, it is unlikely that our government would succeed. And the reason the reason why I say that is that there's there's something called um, natural justice, meaning everybody has a right to be heard, or if you are if if an allegation is made up against you, you have an opportunity. You are entitled to to tell your side of the story. And that that um that those principles of natural justice, they apply even before you get to the courts. So what the government did in this case is that they just wrote to the people and said there are discrepancies. Now, these are people who are saying, even before the law required it, they were submitting quarterly reports to government or to the CBI committee, right? So from all reports, all indications, they, they were transparent. They started the project at a value of um, 52.8 or so, yeah, 52.8 million dollars. Um, that's when they thought they would just renovate the existing structures that were on the land from Blamboyal Hotel. And that was approved by government. And they were doing everything in accordance with the arrangement they had with government. Then, sometime in 2017, they decided that when they got the franchise from the, 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 the Kimpton Kiwana Bay um, group, they, they revised the project to expand it and to demolish some of the old structures because some of the rooms are too small to meet the Kiwana Bay standards and so on. So they needed to do a lot of demolition and, re and reconstruction. That increased the project um, cost to 99.2 million, right? They wrote again to government and they got approval. So the arrangement with government was amended there. And that approval remained until it was abruptly um, pulled. Now, this is, a, this, is, this is a project that is advanced, as we all see. Not to mention, not to mention the environmental aspect of it what happened to the end of Granite Beach there. That's another program altogether. But this is an advanced project. And based on the communication that they have with government, the written correspondence they have with government, which they have disclosed in the claim, government has not given them any reason, any justifiable reason um, as to why the project was pulled and the people who are applying for CBI um, status, for citizenship um, by investment into that project. These applications were pulled. They stopped, they stopped approving those applications. And all they've said 
based on the letters on Soviet school, is that there were discrepancies, very vague discrepancies, right? So they had they didn't they didn't itemize to say, well, we, we found these discrepancies and we need you to explain them and rectify them and we give you 30 days in which to fix it. If you don't fix it, then we will take step. That's not what happened. Which is why they do, from what I see, they have a very strong case and we in Grenada need to be very concerned. This government is way too reckless. They unbelievably reckless and blossom. Before we go to the break, I also wanted to get your opinion. And of course, we'll get back to the, the new field matter, the, 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 the legal matter. But I also wanted to get your opinion on uh, what has been um, a topic of discussion in relation to the vaccination drive island-wide um, and uh-huh. what many see as being forced to get vaccinated. Uh, it's. No, I was going to say it started, but it continued or it got to another level with the situation at St. George's University. And then just over the weekend, there was a circulation from a supermarket in the South saying that because SGU wants to deal with vaccinated companies, that all workers at the supermarket need to get vaccinated to facilitate uh, the students that will be using the supermarket. What are your thoughts on what's taking place with this vaccination drive? Well, I'll give you the NDC thoughts. Yes. Now, let me just say off the bat, because I know we know how um, our opponents like to twist and propagandize things. As the whole nation has already heard our our jingle, our little advertisement we have running on the radio very regularly, encouraging people to get vaccinated and to keep your immune system boosted and strong. So we in the National Democratic Congress, we we believe that it is best if as many people as possible get vaccinated. It is the best decision you can make for yourself in terms of a private health position and as a public health issue, because we know the state of our health care, right? We don't want people falling sick with all the different variants out there. We don't want people falling sick, and and we have 20 people vying for the two ICU beds we have on island, two or three ICU beds. You know, that's the harsh reality. Our healthcare system cannot withstand a, um, a serious outbreak. And the science shows that while you will not be fully immunized or you can still contract the virus after taking the vaccine, the science shows that you are less likely to get sick or less likely to get seriously sick. So that is where the preventative aspect of the vaccine comes in. So we in the NDC, we are very clear that the best course from a private health point of view, from a public health point of view, and from an economic point of view, for as many people to get vaccinated. Because the more people who are vaccinated, the, the more able the authorities will be to reopen the economy fully, right? We think there's an element of recklessness again, a hallmark of, of the new National Party in office, when without taking uh, the proper steps to educate people into getting vaccinated, the, I think government got frustrated and ex- exasperated, and so they decided they're going to reopen the borders reopen up the place and we have we do not have sufficient people vaccinated so as to protect 
the the, the country and the people from from an outbreak if one occurs, right? So they they're dancing very very um, precariously here. No, we in the National Democratic Congress, however, we do not believe, especially since our people were so good in following the directives and protocols and so imposed. That is why we had low infection rates, um, one death, and no new cases in months, because the people have been cooperating by and large. Okay? So with that, we do not in the NDC believe that our people should be at all put in a position where their livelihoods and their jobs are threatened if they are not vaccinated. We see our government as being coward and abdicating their responsibility of leaders. You want to talk about leadership crisis? You want to talk about leadership? Don't talk about the NDC. Talk about what's going on here now. Here you have a government, a crisis in leadership on a major issue because we advocated a long time ago that the fight against COVID-19 should be a national effort. We tried to get involved and we were shunned. Some of the ideas that we put out in our national addresses and our statements and so, they were taken on board and, and done. And um, government took all the credit for that. We don't mind it because the people know who said it first. Um, but we try to be actively involved as, an, as a responsible political organization in the fight against COVID, recognizing it to be a national issue, not a political issue. And we were shunned. Now what we have is a real crisis of leadership because there's no leadership on this issue. It's cowardice. That's what we have. So whereas you have the government of St. Vincent and the Grenadines, the Prime Minister of St. Vincent and the Grenadines making a clear statement, the Prime Minister of Antigua making a clear statement, the Prime Minister of, of Barbados making a clear statement, and mind you, all of them have a different position. Because this thing about mandatory vaccination is not clear-cut, it's not cut and dry. Right? What we do know is that the state, the government, is in the best position to set the policy. They are the ones responsible. They are the ones now abdicating their responsibility for setting a clear policy on this thing. Here's what they've done, Blossom. They've said, the Prime Minister has said repeatedly he's not in favor of mandatory vaccination. He's not going to support a law that imposes mandatory vaccination. But everything he's allowed to happen under his leadership and watch points in the direction of mandatory vaccination. In fact, some of the business community are saying in their own defense that this is a government policy, that people should be vaccinated. So while you're saying one thing out of one side of your mouth, when you look at the actions, that's what we do. You know why? You know why they are, they are not stating a clear policy? They have politicized the fight against COVID-19. So they don't want to en engage the wrath of the unions. They don't want to engage the wrath of the youth. They don't want to engage the wrath of the people. So while everything the government is doing suggests that they believe in mandatory vaccination and they are pursuing a policy of mandatory vaccination, they have abdicated that responsibility. They have shirked their own responsibility and passed it on to the employers to impose, which is a recipe for chaos and discord. Because each employer will employ a different method to suit their, 
their own little purpose, right? Their own little business interest. This is a crisis of leadership. Our government, our prime minister needs to lead and state up a policy position and have that position applied across the board. So, so we and, and, and the, the job losses and the threats and so that are, that are happening now, that is all on the government because they did not take a policy position. They tried to run from a position and put it on to somebody else because they are afraid how it will affect them in the, in the, um, in the voting book. That's what it is, Blossom. Is the NEC prepared to help workers who do not want to get vaccinated? The workers who feel like they're being pressured or forced to get vaccinated, but they don't want to. How can the NDC help them fight? Well, I'll tell you how the NDC can help them fight. The NDC needs to be in office, right? But that's you in see, 2023. We need to fight yes, tomorrow. See, that's, the that, that's the point. As I, I say oftentimes, actions always have consequences, right? So we, at the, the position that, that we were put in after 2018, is such that we can agitate, right? We can agitate, we can influence, we can let our voices be heard. We do not have parliamentary power, right? We do not, we do not have, we do not have the, the power, put it that way. I mean, when you say, how can the NDC help? We can help by educating people, right? No. As we, uh, we we know, and I can say from a from a legal point of view, as I said before, it is not a clear cut decision. It's not cut and dry, and I'm not here to get into the the legal technicalities of the matter. But you see different views from different legal luminary scholars on the subject, right? Now, what we what we in the NDC know, however, is that. The government, by abdicating its responsibility, is actually putting employers in jeopardy. Because when you assess the whole thing in terms of our constitution, what it says, and the existing laws, the government is the one that is best placed or best insulated, will be best insulated if it takes a decision that it thinks it's right. Right? We don't see that people should be losing their jobs. What we can recommend, and this is what this, this is what the NDC can do in terms of helping people to make recommendations, some of which during the fight against COVID, as I said, government has taken on board. What we are recommending now, and this is how the NDC can help. We believe that a multi-party approach should be taken to dealing with this issue of mandatory vaccination or not involving the, the, the organizations representing workers, maybe the union, the trade union movement, the Employers Federation and the Chamber of Industry and Commerce, the government, opposition parties, including the National Democratic Congress, and representatives of other civil society and social organizations, right? To come up with a national position because it is not in all instances, for example, um, that that pressure to be vaccinated would be justified. It may be, it may be justified in some instances, 
considering we are a country, we don't have COVID cases. So what has to happen is that the borders have to remain secure. You have to ensure that we, it's not brought in because we do not have reported cases, right? So that big responsibility of securing the borders, that's on the government. But as as much as um, as a government may do, there may be, there's a likelihood, there may be a case or two that will come in. So you have to have agreement on a broad scale, on a policy. Now, why you may want to say to to some to some um, workers, say healthcare workers, that you must get vaccinated. It's best for you to get vaccinated. You probably need not say that to, to another group of people because the risk the risk are less. So while um, protected protective gear may be may be fine in some areas, some areas of employment, it may be less desirable in other places. But this is the kind of discussion that government need to have and not run away and be coward. Right, because you're afraid you're gonna lose some votes. You rather your people die because you're afraid you're gonna lose some votes. So you so you run and you leave it and you leave it up to employers to impose things and even encourage them to bully staff and so into getting vaccinated when it may not necessarily be that 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 um that's the best approach or when another approach may work, right? Another approach may work. So this is what we offer, we are suggesting. Have a broad-based, uh, multi-party grouping. We have we keep recommending this in the fight against COVID, and, we, and this is the one thing we have been ignored on. But you need to have input from everybody, so so a consensus can be arrived at as to how this thing is going to be dealt with. Here now is Miss Daisy Hazard, the PRO for the Public Workers Union. Good morning, Blossom listeners and viewers all across Grenada, Caracol, Piti Martinique, and indeed the diaspora. And I do want to say um, happy Father's Day belated to all our fathers out there. Hope that the mothers and the children made it wonderful for you. And those fathers who have been missing in action and absent, you still do have the time to pull your socks up. Amen. Well said. Um, on behalf of fathers, thank you for the greetings. <laughs> You're so welcome, mother. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Ms. Hazard, let's get into it. This morning, we're going to start from, well, I know the uh, the union is expected to meet with, I believe, is a minister of labor. Honorable yes. Peter David, tomorrow, God willing. Um, but before we get into your expectations, I'm going to start with a statement made by Prime Minister Dr. Keith Mitchell, uh, not last week, I believe it was a week before, um, during a press engagement. Um, and he said that uh, it doesn't seem like public officers want the 4% salary increase. It seems like PW and its, uh, its workers only want the money because y'all are not protesting as hard as the GUT. Did you hear him make that statement? What did you think about it, if you heard it? Um, um, Blossom, you know, I, I tend in my representation of the workers of this country to not specify or single out any parliamentarian or member of government at all um, for this course. Um, as, as a union, we tend to like to speak about the administration. But in recent weeks, it has been very, very unfortunate that... Um, Public policy seems to have taken, it seems to be dispensed in street fighting. I, I think the public would have heard um, the prime minister recently speaking about making a very derogatory statement, an unfortunate and discriminative statement, discriminatory statement about a gentleman um, indicate that if he was in the street, what he would have said would have been different. And um, 
It seems indeed that when, when the Prime Minister reaches into the street, um, sometimes he tends to forget that he is the Prime Minister of his country because regardless to where you are, whether you are in the Parliament, you are in the public domain anywhere, the role of Prime Minister, the role of a government minister, the role of being um, the government of the day, that cannot be dispensed with, unfortunately. So your public persona is really tied up um, irrevocably and inextricably with your, your, your private persona. But um, to speak directly to those comments, it is unfortunate that um, the government, this administration has to admit through its prime minister that our democracy is challenged and our democracy is at risk. And where workers have a grievance that should be ironed out very professionally and um, with, with, with a view to engaging in the least possible conflict for the good of our society, for the good of social peace and the social construct, that government would indicate and government would put proudly and boldly declare that unless there is fighting, that unless persons engage in, 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 in fighting on the street, in protest action, um, they cannot get justice in this country. And that is unfortunate. Um, and for the government to make that declaration, and, and even further, I think this weekend they were politicking in Karakou. And um, it was unfortunate to hear another government minister allude to the fact that they have a 14-seat majority. And therefore, it was out of place and seems so contrary for anybody to want to protest about anything at all. And those, those of us who have been listening and those of you who did not listen, take a listen. Because it is frightening to hear a minister of government um, making those claims. Because what you are saying is that because you sit in our democratic parliament and there is nobody on the opposition side per se, that somehow you are now above the, the, the dictates of law, that the, ru the rules of law of our country does not apply to you. And that is frightening. And so... Um, as we go to meet with the Labour Commissioner tomorrow, um, we know that government has been meeting with the GOT. Um, we know that government has had several meetings with the GOT and um, other public sector um, organizations somehow um, have sort of been lagging behind. Um, but what we want to say to the government and to the public is that, you know, recently, again, the government alluded that they're so proud of teachers. You know, they love teachers. They love the children of this country. And they woke up one morning and, and they had a vision where they finally remembered that where they are today, the roles that they carry out today, the education that they've been able to attain, the doctoral degrees and so forth and so on, that that was because of teachers. And you, and you wonder, where was the government before? Were they sleeping? Were they in a slumber? Were they in a deep dream? Because for the last number of years, they have been engaging in open brawling and street fighting with the teachers of this country and public servants. And so when you come now to tell us that, you know, it's nothing to do with politics. We just love the children and we care so deeply about teachers because we know that we are who we are today um, because of our teachers. The question is, when did, you, when, you, when did you get that knowledge? Where was it before? Where was that conscience? Where was that duty of care before? And... Um, to sort of intimate that somehow government can go ahead and pay teachers the 4% that is due to them, but other public officers would not be so fortunate or lucky to receive their 4% money that has been due since January. It's insulting. And, and I, think, I think the public is owed an apology on nurses or doctors or engineers or lawyers 
all throughout this country that, are, that is giving service every day, we are owed an apology. And we want to say to the government, you are not the only ones who benefited from um, having a psychology teacher in school. The little games that you're trying to play where you pit one union against the other, that is not going to work because we are all speaking to each other. When you meet with the duty, we are aware of it. The, the contents of your discourse and the decisions that you come to, all public sector unions are aware of it because we stand in solidarity. We stand together with each other. And so tomorrow, when we meet with the Labour Commissioner, we don't expect a lot of pussyfooting around. We don't expect that anybody would call us there to waste our time. We have work to do on behalf of this public. And we expect that whatever offer is presently before the GUT, that offer would also be placed before us. Because all public servants are equal in this country. There is none more equal than the other. I'm glad you um, said that because that was going to be my next question because I saw the news release issued by the GUT last week that they um, they agree that teachers would receive their 4% or they would see it reflected in their pay from the end of August. Um, and it, it dawned on me that that's specifically about teachers. So it seems like there's this, what I call disparity with the agreements between government and teachers or the teachers union and government and PWU. How, how is that working out? Is it, is it that uh, the teachers would get in August and the public office officers have to wait until maybe December, like initially stated? How, how does that work? Or is it one collective right. thing? So you've asked about three questions. Let me see if I can answer all. All right. One, um, as of now, we do not have an offer from the government, um, save and accept that they had offered to pay this money in December of 2021, retroactively. And um, the last conversation that we had before the Labor Commissioner indicated that during or towards the end of June, government would review its fiscal position and would give us a definitive date as to when that money can be paid. Um, so we are going to have discussions with the Labor Commissioner tomorrow, and we expect to be presented with a fiscal review, as promised, at the table. And we are going to look at what government presents to us in that fiscal review, facts and figures, and we will entertain discussion on that basis. Um, in terms of can the government go ahead with a... a and pay another um, group of, of public sector workers and not pay another group. Um, that should not happen. It cannot happen. Now, we have seen our government operate in, very, in, in, in a rogue fashion in the past and done things out of principle and out of law. But again, we do not expect that to happen because, you see, unions can, public sector unions are sovereign unions. You have GOT, TAWU, Public Workers Union, um, prisons have their association, policemen also have their association. And I always like to remind the public that public servants are not just teachers and public servants are not those workers who are represented by the Grenada Public Workers Union. They are policemen, they are prisons officers. So it's a lot of workers. You're not just talking about one group of workers. You are talking about the people who keep this country safe, which who keeps this country running on a day-to-day -day basis. We can get rid of the 14 persons who sit in parliament today. And the systems that, that, that govern our country, the way it should function, once our public sector works, once our public officers work, our country would continue to run. You cannot get rid of public servants. You cannot take all public servants and send them at home en masse today because then your, your, your society will grind to a halt. Your society will devolve into chaos. And so let's make that clear. The persons in this society who are important 
It's not the 14 persons who bragging that they're sitting in parliament and so therefore no one should contradict them. They are important and they have their role to play. But public servants also have their role to play as well. And so all of these unions will go and will, 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 will bargain separately. In the case of GUT, um, sorry, GPWU, my union and the TAU, we have over the past couple of years bargained as one unit, two unions together, which is why we are called the joint unions. But what happens at the end of the day? Once a period, a period of negotiations is over, whatever is the best deal or best package of benefits in terms of salary increases that is worked out by any public sector, sector union, all unions receive it. So th there has been instances in the past. There was an instance in the past where we had to receive a one-off payment. And the GOT would have agreed, I think, for it was a sum of $700 at the table and signed for that. And then the PWU also went to negotiate that settlement, and we signed for $1,500. And all public sector workers, all policemen, teachers, um, GPWU, we received $1,500 because that is the agreement. Once the wash is over, once all unions are, are finished negotiating, whichever is the best package of, of benefits or settlement that one particular public sector union has um, agreed on, all unions benefit from it. Because no union or no worker must come out ahead of another worker because we are all public sector workers. So when we see the government, the administration and prime minister out there saying these things, we know that that's appealing um, not to logic and to reason, but perhaps to voters. Okay, well, thanks for that explanation. Yes. So that leaves the question, why not just do one meeting and done? Um, you see, I think, Blossom, you know, things are dynamic and things change. Um, and so you have unions, when, 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 when unions go to negotiate, you know, you meet with your specific, because everything... The thing that we do, workers, when the GOT has to make an agreement with government, when government offered them bonds, for instance, the executive had to go back to their workers, their teachers to say, do you agree to this? When we meet with the Labour Commissioner tomorrow, whatever is the outcome of that meeting, we have to we have to circularize and notarize our members. We also have to go back to them if we intend to make a decision. And so it is easier for unions, sovereign unions, to manage their business with their group of workers individually. In the case of Tau, Tau, the, the, the workers who are covered under Tau and are public workers, those numbers are small, and so it makes sense. And because they also work in the physical plant with uh, our workers, PWO workers, it makes sense to negotiate together. Teachers work in another set of plants, in another physical set of physical plants. And so, you know, the sovereignty and being able to negotiate separately, that makes logical sense. But as to whether we are all under one umbrella body, the TUC, and as to whether we speak with each other and we dialogue and we share and we, and we discuss strategy and we discuss next steps and we discuss with each other what is the government saying, what have they said to you, we do that as a matter of form. And so no one should take, no one should be of the view that somehow you're using one union to outsmart the other or you're using one union to gain a psychological advantage over the other. We are aware of you. We are unto you. We know what you're trying to do. Um, the principle of divide and conquer, divide and rule is one that, you know, if you look historically, it's a pattern that this government has used. Um, but we have also benefited from teachers, as, as I've said before. We know the little games and the little tricks, and we are on to government. We wouldn't be fooled by that, and unions would not be caught in a situation where um, one union is satisfied or not satisfied or dissatisfied. And so then we turn from what has proven to be a common enemy and, and start fighting with each other. That is certainly not going to happen. 
So as you head into the meeting tomorrow, please, Lord, with Minister David, um, and, and I'll use your phrase here, you don't expect there to be pussyfooting around. Uh, what, are your expect- what are your expectations for the outcome? And if it is not to your liking, expectations, desire, what steps are the PW prepared to face or to take fighting for that 4%? Um, Blossom, you do stay on task because the media asks us that question all the time. And so let's try to answer it. Again, as I've said, we expect tomorrow to be presented with some facts and and figures, hard facts and figures. Now, we have seen in the past when we sit with government and they promise us hard facts and figures, somehow whenever we go back to them, um, we never get that. But we expect to get that tomorrow because government has been saying to this public from, from since January that we do not have the means to pay. We cannot pay. Um, or fiscal, um, the revenue does not allow it. And so if you're going to come to say you want to pay before December and you want to pay sooner, um, definitely there must be a justification in the figures to show that. We want a solution um, from our unions in. We want, what workers want is a 4%. If you notice I'm blossom in the last probably three weeks or so, every single week, gasoline prices and fuel prices has gone up in this country. When you go to the supermarkets, if you don't have a good heart, you are going to faint. Um, some people tell you that they have cut down and reduced on the, on the amount of times that they go to the supermarket, not because they don't need goods, but because each time you have to go to the supermarket, you have to brace yourself. You have to take a, a high blood pressure pill or an, an anti-anxiety tablet. You have to take something to prepare you for picking up the few little items that you put into your basket and you get to the cash and they tell you three, four hundred dollars. And that's just for basic necessities. When you think about trying to buy fruits and vegetables, commodities that should be basic, at basic, basic prices in our country, um, you can't buy it. When you think about the taxes, when you think about the things that have been, even in this COVID period, that government has just quietly and unceremoniously offered, ushered onto the public. We pay these taxes that have been increased, court fees, so many other things. Um, we need our 4%. And so we want to settle this issue. The 4% matter is a bit of an irritant. It is really irritating to have to be dealing with it still because there are so many things that we need to be focused on. And I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. While government has been distracting unions with the 4%, they have been wreaking havoc in the public service and with young Grenadian lives in the unconscionable ways that they have been hiring and firing persons. And I want to stick that point, Blossom, and come to it later because I want to elaborate a bit more on it. So just to say, Blossom, that um, we will take action. We will take action. Um, and our, our members are not without, we, we are not without recourse. I've also heard, we have also heard the administration making, saying that, um, you know, for some reason, public workers are not coming out. It's not because um, public workers are fully in support of the union. When I walk through ministries and so workers say to me, it's hazard, we are proud of the job that you all are doing. We want our monies. Don't give up. But they also tell you, I'm afraid because I'm a contract worker. I've been on contract for 10 years. I've been on contract for 12 years. My salary is $1,200. We've had so many reports of workers saying to us that I've been called into an office and forced to sign a contract, which is new and totally different to the one that I've had for 10 years. I've been forced to give up the 10 years of service that I've given, unestablished albeit, but now I've been forced to sign a contract as if I've just started working with government. There are persons who have been acting as if we are actors in Hollywood for years, 
And those persons are saying to you, I'm afraid because I'm threatened. When the union say to wear red, um, I have to wear red in my bag or in my pocket. Because if I even wear a red shoe, somebody calls me up and reprimands me. If I post something in social media to say I want my 4%, somebody calls me up to reprimand me. So what we're seeing here is that we have a government that is ruling by faith. And our public servant workers who are in the ministries and government departments where they interact with ministers and supervisors on a daily basis, yes, they do admit to that faith. They do admit that the conditions of the employment seem to be governed primarily by faith. Now, we are talking about a country that is democratic. We are talking about a country that has a 1974 constitution. We are talking about a country that has labor laws. This is a labor code of Grenada which governs and sets out how persons are to be employed. And yet you, are te- you have people telling you, I feel like a slave. I have been employed by, like a slave where persons can push me around, where my salary does not increase year after year. And so when you ask me to wear my union T-shirt, sometimes I wear it, but I'm afraid. We had some mental health workers who are working under severe duress come into the union hall last week, and some of them are saying, when I wear my union T-shirt, I wear it, but I'm wondering, What's next? Who's going to call me in and call me up on the carpet just because I wore my union T-shirt? And so our workers stand firmly behind the union. We are not re- without recourse. And, and Blossom, when you push up people beyond their limits, when you push up people beyond the terms, the, the, the extent of the endurance, when people cannot take more, the backlash and what happens is usually very detrimental. And I would want to urge this administration, because you have called the public service so much in the in the nefarious ways and illegal and unlawful ways that you have been employing people because you have called them so much and somehow you feel that they will not stand up for their own rights in this democratic society. I want to warn, I want to urge us to take heed and take caution that you do not push our people to the extent that they cannot take any more. Our nurses and doctors who are still standing in, in the fight, in the breach against COVID, the persons who go out every day and face incoming visitors, to do their, their PCR testing are our nurses. Those are the persons who are standing at the front line still of our country. The police officers who have to intercept people who hitch a right and hide from St. Vincent and come back home because they're Grenadians. And since after the, 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 the volcano, life is too hard over there. So they hitch a ride, they bomb a ride, just as you would if you're coming down from St. David's or St. Patrick, hitch a boat here or there and end up in Grenada. They have to be quarantined. The policemen have to deal with them. The Coast Guard officers have to deal with him. them. Our public officers, officers have to deal with them. And these are the people who are standing in guard of our society every day. So when, the, when, when we hear our government speak about the pandemic and say that because of the pandemic, our revenues have dropped so much, and so we cannot pay these people. I mean, it was such an affront to hear from Karaku this weekend that, you know, we have to people pay people who clean by the side of the road, and we have to build roads, and we have to repair roads, and so, so we cannot pay public servants 4%, and we don't understand the agitation. Are you kidding me? Donate to democracy. It's easy. Just Google NDC Grenada. Click the donate button on the NDC website. Click the amount you want to donate. Enter your card details and you're done. Thank you for donating to democracy from the National Democratic Congress, putting people first. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being part of the program and uh, show. Look forward to having you next week again.